Hey everybody, it's John. Welcome or welcome back to the One Church Podcast. Hey, thank you for taking a second to subscribe to our channel. And when you rate and review this podcast, it really means a lot to me as it helps us engage with even more people. But most importantly, I hope that the word today will engage, equip, empower, and encourage you to reach the world. Enjoy. We cannot thank you enough for what you have done. Um, You're amazing, and so we celebrate you today. Moms are superheroes, and they're awesome, and without you, none of us would be here, and so we're so grateful that you're here. You know, it was shocking to me to learn that even as early as the 1980s, less than 7% of uh, the American population would grow up in what used to be the stereotypical definition of a family or a home with a breadwinning dad and a homemaking mom. Um, 20 years ago, it was 30 years ago, it was that fact. But recently, it's been estimated that over 13 million single parents are currently raising 21 million children in the United States alone and rising every single year. You know, the definition of the word family uh, can change depending on the context that you're in. And in the United States of America, the definition of the word family is often under attack. And with trying to redefine that word, there's other words that we've attempted to redefine. And words that many people don't understand. Um, As of a few years ago, one in four children, 25% in the United States, and now it's nearing one in three children right here in our own backyard won't understand what the word dad actually means because they will have grown up having never seen or experienced what it's like to have a father. And while fatherlessness has been the great rampage of our country, the statistics and the balance is starting to lean in the other direction where an increasing number of children will have no idea, they will have no understanding of what it truly means to have a mom. One psychologist put it this way, and and he's right. It's been proven and studied and researched that a child will never come to full psychological development and maturity in adulthood unless the child has had a mother in the home. A child will never, let that sink in, will never come to full psychological development or maturity in adulthood unless they have grown up with a mother in the home. And how can they know what it means to be a mom if they've never really seen one? I, I want to, you can respond to this real quick um, with an amen or a clap or maybe an uh-huh. And only the ladies in the room are truly going to understand this. But, but while we don't truly understand all the superpowers that moms have, we know we've seen a few of them. Like you might be a mom if instead of running away from projectile vomit, you've run towards it at one time in your life. Um, You might be a mom if you can do more in seven minutes than most people can do in 24 hours. Um, It's super, but we appreciate moms. You you might be a mom if happy hours definition is the 60 minutes between when your kid goes to bed and when you fall asleep on the couch. Um, You might be a mom if you have many therapy sessions all day long with anyone who will listen to you. Um, You might be a mom if going to the grocery store by yourself feels like a vacation. 
Um, you might be a mom if you think of physical pain in, in three categories. There's pain, excruciating pain, and stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night. Um, you might be a mom if you have the ability to hear a sneeze through closed doors in the middle of the night, two bedrooms away while your husband snores right next to you. Uh, you might be a mom if you'd rather have a 103 degree temperature rather than see one of your children go through it. You, you might be a mom if you have ever used a baby wipe to clean up a random mess or the dash of your car. Uh, you might be a mom if you have ever locked yourself in a bathroom and pretended to be sick just so you could have a few minutes of peace. <laughs> you might be a mom if a shower with a locked door feels like a day at the spa. Um, you might be a mom if you have washed the same load of laundry uh, three days in a row because you kept forgetting to dry it. Um, these are just things that I've witnessed my uh, mom do. You might be a mom if at the end of the day, brushing your teeth feels like such an accomplishment that you've thought about posting it on Facebook for your friends to like. You, moms have amazing superpowers, and moms can do incredible things that no man could ever think of doing. Only a mom can cook and talk on the phone and yell at the kids and never miss a moment of the TV show that she's watching. Only moms can do that. Moms are amazing. You guys are legends. You're incredible. And while there are so many other amazing qualifiers for what it takes to be a superhero, or as we call them, mom, we recognize this morning that while we consider moms our hero, moms are not in and of themselves invincible. And though we run to mom when our hearts are hurting or when we're experiencing pain in our body, we know that moms often deal with pain on, on a deep level that they try to keep hidden because they're helping everybody else that they don't have time to help themselves. We know that moms are incredible and strong, but maybe there's a veteran mom of decades or a mom of a newborn or a, a toddler or maybe a single mom who's wondering if their questions are stupid and if anyone else is going through what they're going through and they're scared to talk about it because it doesn't seem like anybody understands if you're a mom in the room. We want you to know that God has some very encouraging things for you and he has a special purpose for you. And even when everything seems like it's absolutely chaos from the floor of your closet to the floor mats of your car. God has some very specific and special things that he has to say about you. And so I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to prepare to dive into several verses and the story of arguably the greatest mom in the entirety of scripture. Her story is not without intrigue and drama, but it's also not without great blessing. And so 1 Samuel chapter 1, when you're ready to jump into the scripture, say jump, starting in verse number 1. There was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And that's where we pause and give God thanks that moms took over the naming rights and dads lost their job. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful right now that um, my dad did not have a whole lot of say in what my name was going to be. I have the same name as him, thank the Lord, but it was going to be something ridiculous, and I won't tell you what it was. Um, so in verse number two, here we find the man named Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the other was Panina, and Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. 
Now understand that at this time in history, to have a child was a sign of blessing and prosperity. Children were a gift from God. And so to not have children almost seemed like a punishment of sorts, like God was testing Hannah or God was withholding blessing from Hannah. And so what she wanted was she wanted a gift from God. She wanted God's best. Watch what happens to her in verse number three. Now, this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. That's Hophni and Phinehas, not Phinehas and Ferb, for any of the moms of Nick Jr. kids in the room. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Any of the wives in the room, have your husbands ever asked you a stupid question? They were scared to answer. Have your husbands ever asked you a stupid question? And here's what he says to her, a stupid answer. Am I not more than you to 10 sons? I mean, I love you. Am I not enough? But we're about to dive into the story of the greatest mom of scripture and something that she understood that only the moms in the room will truly grasp the gravity of is this. While receiving love is amazing, every mom in the room desires most of all to give love to other people. And while she was receiving the love from her husband, there was something inside of her that wanted to give love, but just didn't seem like it could because there was something missing, a blessing from God. And I imagine in these moments, as they journeyed year by year to the temple, and it says year by year, they didn't just go once a year. Um, Her husband, Elkanah, is a Levite. He's in the the Levitical family, even though he lives in this territory called uh, Ephrathah. And so he goes to the temple regularly. He's part of the family, you know, of the priests. And so they're they're a church-going family. They go regularly. And scripture lists specifically that they go to the temple where Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were serving. Now, Scripture throws that in there on purpose because later on you're going to find out who Hophni and Phinehas are and what they really are all about. They're the sons of Eli the prophet or the priest or the preacher there at the church, but they are turning and running from God. They're doing vile and wicked and treacherous things in the eyes of God. Things like they're taking the portions of sacrifice that belong to God and keeping it for themselves. They're they're taking the good stuff and they're eating steak dinners every night out of what God had required of a sacrifice. They are... um, taking money from people. And worst of all, they are getting ladies drunk at the entrance to the temple and they're sleeping with all of the women that they can. This is what they're doing there at the temple of God, at the house of God. And as you can imagine, um, it would have been difficult to have gone to worship knowing that you were going to have to go through the gatekeepers, Hophni and Phinehas. But the reason why it is specific that Hannah and her husband go to the temple regularly, year by year, probably three times a year for the three different feasts and offerings when Hophni and Phinehas were there is that they did not allow the hypocrisy and the evil of other people to keep them from worshiping a holy God. 
Listen, moms in the room, it's so often in the American culture today, people use the excuse, well, I'm not going to go to church and I'm not going to hang around the things of God because that church is full of hypocrites. And to that, I'd like to say guilty. We are full of hypocrites here at one church. We are all sinners. We are all, we, ain't none of us live 24-7 the way that we live whenever we're in church on Sunday. Some of us don't even make it to the car before our flesh shows a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Listen, we're, 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 that's why we have a rule here. No perfect people allowed. And so she understood that while there was hypocrisy, even at the temple, God was deserving of her worship, even though those people weren't necessarily deserving of her time. And so they go to the temple year by year because God had listed that worship was to be done in a particular place, in a particular way. And so they followed the word of God to the letter. They loved God. Hannah loved God and Hannah worshiped God. But as she would go to the temple, I imagine these moments are difficult because in these moments of worship that ought to be sweet, in these moments of worship that ought to be precious, in these encounters with the presence of God that ought to be sincere and amazing, those are the moments where her rival, the other wife of her husband, would poke fun at her. Those are the moments where she would be mocked. In fact, when she would go to the temple, it only served as a stark reminder that God had not given her what she desperately wanted and the other wife kept reminding her of that. And so she, she describes herself in so many different ways. She describes herself as irritated. She describes herself as vexed and, and anxious. And these moments that ought to be amazing probably were difficult and, and, and horrendous to make it through. Why? Because other people kept inflicting pain on the outside, not to mention the pain she felt on the inside because she had a lot of love to give, but no one to give it to yet. You know, we don't often stop and think about moments. It's not very often that we really dwell in the moment. Because in our society, we're always looking to what's next, what's coming, what's happening, what's on the calendar, whatever. And I, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. I'm always thinking about what's happening next. It, and one of the things that I have to really struggle with and work through, even as I stand on this platform to preach, is thinking about what's the next sermon and what's happening after this and you know, who's got to talk to you and things like that. And we don't often stop and pause and just live in the moment. I think one of the reasons why we don't value the moment is because we don't remember every moment that we've ever experienced. I, I know that's, that's really elementary to think about, but I don't remember every second of every day that I've ever lived through. There's a lot of gaps in there. Some of y'all in the room today lived through the 70s. There's a big gap in there. Just a lot of things that you don't remember. And listen, moments seem like they're not as valuable because we don't remember every single moment one of them. I don't remember every moment. And so we don't pause to recognize the power that a moment can bring. And could I just talk to the moms in the room for a second and the rest of us just get to listen as the Lord speaks to us from his word. Listen, your moments matter, especially the painful ones. In the moments where you're experiencing great pain, in the moments where you're experiencing great sorrow, God is always up to something and your moments matter because your pain has purpose. Your pain has purpose. I can think back, you know, my, I have 
uh, three, four, five siblings. That's how many. <laughs> um, sometimes it's hard to remember. There are six of us. And so I have a vivid memory. There's a big age gap between me and the other siblings. So I remember my mother going through those pregnancies. And I remember that when you take the pregnancy test and the announcement is made, we're having another kid. You know, everybody's really excited. The, the, the thing changes, though, whenever nine months comes. And all of a sudden, the one who was going, I'm so excited, is going, you did this to me. You know, I can remember hearing my mom say those words exactly uh, to my dad on the way to the hospital when my brother James was being born. So listen, things begin to change. And that moment, I'm sure, I've never experienced it, but I can just imagine having heard the stories from some of you. That was a painful moment for you, but your pain had purpose. It was through that pain that life was given. Your pain has purpose. Your pain has purpose. And in those moments that seem painful, in those moments that seem hard, in those moments where you feel like the world is against you, nobody understands you, and you're living in such a way that no one could relate to, and no one seems to care. The good news is this. God is watching, and he cares. And your pain is just a setup for God to reveal a miracle. The scripture says specifically that the Lord had closed her womb. And if there is a closed door to you right now, if there is a closed opportunity to you right now, if you're in a position that seems painful right now, know this, God is up to something. In other words, your pain is not pointless. Your pain is always so that God can bring new life into this world. Dear mom, your pain has purpose. Watch this in verse number nine. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and, what's the next word? Say it again. To the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. This is what's called a Nazarite vow. If you've ever read about Samson with the long hair, he had, been, he had taken the Nazarite vow. No razor would touch their head. They drank no wine. They didn't go around dead bodies. They were children that were set aside for the purpose of the Lord. And Hannah is praying. Praying a prayer here out of the pain and the bitterness and the anxiety in her heart. And she's saying, God, if you would give me a blessing, I would give that child back to you. God, if you would lend him to me, I will lend him to you. And she prays. Listen, watch verse number 12. Watch verse number 12. As she continued, what's the next word? Every time she finds herself in a distressing situation, you know what she does? What? She doesn't complain. She doesn't post on Facebook. She doesn't call her friend to vent about her husband in front of her husband. She doesn't scream. She prays. Mom, your prayer life will change things. And your prayer life will change you. Because when you're in a painful situation, know this, it's a setup with purpose because your prayer has power. 
As a mom, your prayer has power that you do not even realize. Moms just get the attention of God in a special way. And I want to prove it to you because as I was doing a little bit of research, I found out that in the year 1820, there was a man by the name of Peter Richley. Peter Richley. And he'd survived one of the strangest events that is recorded in all of history. He was on his way from Great Britain to Australia on a ship where the ship encountered a storm and the ship sank. Everyone on board the boat died except Peter Richley. As he was floating there on a piece of the ship, a second ship following the same sea path arrived. He signaled to them as best he could, and they saw him. They pulled him up out of the water. They dried him off. They gave him food and water to drink. And as they were continuing on their way toward Australia, ship number two sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Everyone on board dies except Peter Richley. He floats there along the water, probably on a piece of the ship one more time. When he signals to another passing ship, we don't know how many hours or maybe even a day later, following the same sea path to Australia, and they pull him up out of the water, ship number three, that also encounters a struggle, and ship number three sinks. Everyone on board dies except, you guessed it, Peter Richley. Friends, this doesn't happen one, two, or three times. This happens five times before he ever makes it to Australia. I begin to wonder if he's maybe like Jonah and we don't need to toss him overboard. Like five times he's on a boat, ship goes down. This became kind of routine over the next few days for Peter Richley. In fact, he recorded that you can read uh, in in history. He wrote down that uh, ship number five was sinking to the bottom of the ocean as everyone is drowning and he was floating there. He said, I was just waiting on cue for the next ship to signal because it just seemed like God didn't want me to die. Ship number six, passing the same way, spots Peter Richley floating there in the water and they pull him up and rescue him. They dry him off, give him some new clothes. The doctor on board ship number six gives him a clean bill of health and then he asks him for a favor. Peter, We've had a lady on board our ship for the last many weeks of our journey who has grown drastically ill. She already knows the faces of everybody on board the boat, but her sickness has grown so much that she's become delirious, and she's in and out of like a coma all day and all night long. And when her sweat breaks and she opens her eyes, all she does is pray, God, please restore me to my son. Please protect my son. Please let me see my son before I die. And then she'll go back to sleep for hours on end. And then she'll wake up again. God, please restore me to my son. Please protect my son. Please let me see my son before I die. And then she goes back to sleep. He says, Peter, she already knows everybody on board the boat. And we just want this precious lady to be able to die in peace. So what we'd like to ask you to do is, would you go into her room and pretend to be her son? That way she'll feel like her life's purpose is accomplished. And she'll be able to you know, finally rest in peace. And Peter thought, well, I guess this is the sixth boat that has rescued me. I guess I, sure, sounds, sounds good. So as the doctor kind of nudges him into the room of this sick and sweating and delirious lady, Peter takes a few steps toward the bed inside of her quarantined cabin when he drops to his knees and begins to sob vehemently. As he looks at the lady laying there on the bed and begins to cry out, Because she was the reason that God wouldn't let him die. His mom had purchased a ticket from the city of Leeds to go to Australia to see her son. And there she was on board the boat. 
that rescued her son for the sixth time. You can't tell me that mom's prayers don't have power. Mom's prayers have power. And listen, I cannot count the number of times that in my personal life I have been on my way to do something that God did not want me to do. What, my, what time my grandma wasn't awake at some early hour in the morning or late hour at night that she wasn't praying. God, don't let John get away with anything. I'm serious. She prayed it out loud. Listen, I could tell you story after story about one time headed toward a place that God did not want me to be, to be with people God did not did not want me to be with. And on a perfectly normal day, rain began to pour. My car spun out of control. It was completely totaled, but I walked out without a scratch. I get a phone call not too many hours later. What are you doing? From my grandmother. I was just praying for you. Thanks, Grandma. You just wrecked my car. Listen, mom's <laughs> prayers have power. God hears the cries of a praying mom. Listen, pray for your kids because when you're in a moment of pain, it could be that God's using it to drive you to your knees so that you will lift up the names of your children because God hears the cries of his children and the cries of a praying mom have power. God hears your prayer. Your, your prayer has so much power. She's deeply distressed and she prayed. She's vexed and anxious and she prayed. And so the prophet Eli looks over at her and he thinks that she's drunk because her mouth is moving but nothing is coming out. And I know that like my, my mom had that ability too to look at you and go... And he, he thinks that she's drunk. And so this is more a testament to what they've allowed in the temple all of this time. And so it's no surprise to him that there'd be a drunk woman knowing that his sons are Hophni and Phinehas. And so he goes to Hannah and he says, how long will you continue being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Cut it out. You're in the house of God. And she looks up at the prophet and she says this in verse number 15. She doesn't respond in anger. She doesn't respond in sarcasm. She responds in humility when she says, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I'm, I'm troubled in spirit. I have not drunk wine nor strong drink, but have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. I know that when people look at me, they think I'm worthless because I can't bring kids into the world. I know that people think I'm of no use. I know that Panina over here is always making fun of me because I can't give my husband what he wants and I don't have what I truly desire. I'm, I, everyone thinks I'm worthless. Please don't think that I'm a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. This woman is anxious and afflicted and and vexed and irritated and all of the words that describe your way home from school last week when you picked up your kids from the carpool line and that mom in front of you was on her phone and the car was in park and it was time for you to move 30 seconds ago maybe that was just my mom she was the only driver in the christian school carpool line that used her horn like i just praise the lord uh, for her she says, don't consider me worthless. I'm vexed and I'm anxious and I'm tired and I'm irritated and I'm bothered. Little did she know the purpose of her pain and the power of her prayer because Eli answered in verse number 17, go in peace and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you've made to him. And to this prophet, that was just a simple, like, get this woman out of my way kind of a statement. Little did he know just how prophetic it actually was. Because when Hannah heard it, she clung to it. 
when she heard the word of God, she held fast to it. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She was just a little bit hangry, y'all. And then in verse number 19, they, <laughs> she needed some biscuits. She needed some toast. She needed some toast. They rose up early in the morning in verse 19 and worshiped the Lord. Now I want you to see a word here. They rose early in the morning, worship before the Lord. What's the next word? Say it. She's not pregnant yet. She hasn't even slept with her husband yet. How in the world is she worshiping and praising the Lord? Because she had a promise from God. And she knew that she could praise before the promise was fulfilled because God is always faithful even when the people around us are not. God's ways are perfect. And when God gives you a word, cling to it even if it takes decades for God to come through. There are some moms in the room today who are brokenhearted over children that are running from God. Maybe you know a mom who is distraught because she's got a precious baby that she hasn't heard from in years because they're not living for God. There is a problem that says this, when you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they will not depart from it. That is a word that God has for you this morning. And if you'll stay on your face in your pain and in prayer, you can praise God before the promise ever happens because God always keeps his promises. 100% of the time. Watch this. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, not right then, not in that moment, but in God's perfect time, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. You can praise before the promise because God's promise is secure. You get into God's word and you get a word that you pray over your children, listen, God will always keep his promises. My dad had a verse. My mom quoted it often. It was Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Listen, my dad beat the hell out of me. I was filled with hell, and he beat it out. I am so thankful that that promise was true. Somebody in here is like, (laughs) your dad spanked you, and I'm grateful for it. I've got bragging rights that some of y'all's brats don't have. Somebody beat their children and praise God for the promise. (laughs) We can praise him in church on Sunday that someday they will be thankful that you did it. You believe in corporal punishment? God does, and he wrote the book on parenting, so I'm just going to go with what he had to say. Praise the Lord. I'm going to keep moving. She praised him before the promise. They went up over the next few verses and continued to sacrifice to the Lord. God blessed her with the son Samuel. Something difficult happens, though. Because it's easy to make a promise to God before he delivers on his end. But when God gives you what you've asked for, he gives it to us to steward. In other words, nothing that you have actually belongs to you. Mom, dad. And in verse number 24, when she had weaned him, and I have reason to believe that she did. She took her time during this process because she knew the promise she had made to God. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. 
she brings little Samuel to the temple and drops him off because that's what she had promised God she would do. It's probably easy to make that promise when she didn't have any children and when she couldn't relate to what it would be like to give a child away. Likewise, it's easy to talk about parenting until you actually have kids of your own and then you find out that things are a whole lot harder than everybody had said. But she promised God. He provided. And now it's her opportunity to practice trust and faith in the God that had provided. And so she fulfilled her end of the bargain. You know, God blessed her for it. Some of us, we don't believe that God will actually come through on his promise because we get so attached to people that we love that we love them more than we love God. If you heard me preach any amount of time, you hear me talk often about how I'm a fourth-generation preacher's kid. just means I'm four times as jacked up as most people. And I grew up having the privilege of being in the churches and ministries of my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather and my grandpa, who taught me most of what I know, used to tell this story frequently. Um, we had a couple in our church, the church I grew up in, who a young couple, late 20s, early 30s. I mean, they loved the Lord, and they were so much fun to be around. They were always doing everything at the church. I mean, they were involved in everything, plugged into every ministry, and they were like couple goals, and they were always, if you asked them, what can we be praying for you for? They would say, Just pray that God gives us a baby. We're trying to have a baby, and that's, that's all they really wanted was for God to give them a baby. And after lots of prayer, I believe it took a couple of years, God blessed them with the child that they had been praying for. I can recall how they would talk about how if God would just give us this baby, you know, we would raise up this family in the house of God and we, you know, we'll, we'll stay consistent and we'll serve the Lord. And God gave them the baby. And then for the first several months of the baby's life, the couple was nowhere to be found because the nursery that they had once served in taking care of everyone else's kids now was too dangerous and scary for their own baby. Interesting how that works. Praise God for the nursery workers who allow us to worship in a distraction-free environment in here. Thank you, Mason and Leah and um, Chelsea and all the others who train volunteers to make sure that ministry is done with excellence so that they can be trusted so that we can worship without... If you cry out in the Holy Spirit, that's one thing, but it's another thing when you're in here going, ah, the whole time. I appreciate the nursery workers. They are legendary and amazing. But now all of a sudden, the, the nursery it wasn't good enough for their baby, and their baby couldn't be around any people, not because it was sick, but because they were overprotective and they didn't know. You know, as Peyton Manning said, rub some dirt in it. It builds immunity. So they finally show up on like a Sunday night, you know. My grandpa asked him, where, where y'all been? Oh, we've just, we just been at home. We've just been taking care of our baby. You know, God gave us this baby, and we're so grateful for this gift God gave us. And he's like, okay. He's like, hey, don't forget, God's the one who gave you this. You, said, you promised you'd give this baby to God. Yeah, oh, Pastor Groves, this is good. We're, we're good. We'll be back. You know, we're, we've just been taking our time. He's like, okay. Summer rolled around, and this is before social media. There wasn't Facebook to scroll through, but... They had one of those Polaroid cameras, you know, that where they take a picture and some of you in the room are like, what? You know, you could wave it and the film would show up. That's how many years old some of, we, some of us are. <laughs> I'm Polaroid camera before Facebook years old. 
And they'd bring those pictures and they would show them off. This is our, this is our boat that we bought and we're going to go out and our family, you know, just, we're going to raise our kid and have so much fun. And I remember thinking, that is so cool. Like, that, that's awesome. I want a family like that. That's so, that's amazing. And all of a sudden, they, they wouldn't be there Sunday morning because they'd stay out on the boat over the weekend. And then we were in a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. All of a sudden, they didn't even show up Sunday night anymore. Just an occasional Wednesday. Before too long, you didn't see them ever. People would call and they'd, no answer. People would knock on their door, no reply. And so my grandfather decided he was going to go pay them a personal visit. When he tells the story, he talks about walking down the sidewalk to their house, seeing the car parked in the driveway, but hearing out back this. And then dead silence. And then it would pick up again. struck him odd so he, he walked around to their garage rear entrance and there was that gentleman with a big old sledgehammer just beating holes in the side of that beautiful boat that he had bought when he spotted my grandfather he began to cry and he said Pastor Groves we'll be back on Sunday and my grandpa said I'm really glad to hear that but what's, what's going on what are you doing to the boat he said well it was last Sunday. We were just out for a long weekend, and um, our precious little baby's been crawling and walking around. Found her way over to the side of the boat and fell into the water, and the propeller of our boat took our baby's life. But we'll be back at church now. We're ready to give to God now. It's a drastic story, and that's dark, but friend... If you don't give to God what he has lent to you, a few years from now, you may not have it either. Moms, train up a child in the way they should go, which also means in the place they should go, around the people that they should be around. And the secularization of our culture is not happening because of the universities. It's not those evolutionists in the college and the public schools that are causing a generation to turn away from God. It's the churches that are causing the secularization of our society because we have a generation that said, we'll go to church when we have time and as long as we don't have something better to do and as long as your hobby doesn't interfere with the house of God. Because if you've got a ball game, that's more important than God. And if you've got a sleepover, that's more important than God. And if you're tired and you've got some homework, that's more important than God. And our church people have told our children, don't worry, you don't need God. We didn't say it with our mouth, but we sure did show it with our life. And the propeller of society is eating our children alive. Because God gave us gifts to steward, and we let them crawl on their own right into the water. Moms in the room, we're so thankful for you because the moms that are here, you're amazing. You're changing lives and you're changing the world because you realize there's purpose in your pain and there's power in your prayer and you praise before the promise and you recognize that what God has given you isn't yours, but yours to give only to him. And while being a godly mom requires great sacrifice, you're here with the understanding that your personal cost creates prosperous children. 
Your personal cost in the moment creates prosperous children in the future. You want to know why we invest money and time and energy into our kids' ministry and our youth ministry? You want to know why that's like a priority on our budget? Is because our children are a priority. Because I want to be able to tell my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, I want my great-grandchildren after I'm dead and gone to drive to a little town in Kentucky and visit a thriving move of God and say, my great-great-grandpa pastored this church and these people are still here today because they prioritized the next generation and they gave their children to God and they did their best to raise the next generation up rather than try to go reach them after they were gone. That's the church. I mean, Donnie, wouldn't it be great if your grandchildren were a part of one church one day? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if your great-great-grandchildren were a part of the same legacy church that you are a part of because we said it's going to cost us something, but it's going to create something prosperous in the end. Moms, we celebrate you today because your pain has purpose and your prayer has power and You praise him before the promise ever comes. Something amazing that I see in her life is this. There's a great contrast here. Take a look at this. Earlier when she prayed, she described herself in a few ways. She said, I'm sad. I'm deeply distressed. I'm irritated. I'm troubled in spirit. She described herself as filled with anxiety and vexation. I'm anxious and I'm troubled and everything around me seems like it's crazy. That's how she described herself. And when she prayed on the front end, she prayed because of her pain. And now when she prays in chapter two, she says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She says, now my heart, my thinking, my emotions, my mind rejoices in God. Now my horn, that was a picture of strength. Now my strength comes only from God. And now my mouth sings the praises of God because he always keeps his promises and God did exactly what he said he would do. Oh, dear mom, right now in your life or maybe coming into a season in your future, you would describe yourself as sad. I just, things around me aren't great and I'm, I'm distressed and anxiety fills my mind and I feel vexed. People are poking fun at me for raising my family in church. People are being mean to me. My marriage isn't the best. It even exists at all. And I don't understand why God is allowing me to go through this pain. Friend, here's why. Your pain, mom, has purpose and it will drive you to your knees in prayer knowing that the prayer of a godly mom will change the world. And while this pain and these sacrifices will cost you something now, dear mom, the prosperous children you create will thank you for decades to come for the sacrifice that you made. Moms, we wouldn't be anywhere without you. As you read through the next few chapters, which I didn't encourage you to do, An amazing uh, literary technique that the writer uses is he begins a paragraph talking about the sons of Eli and he ends the paragraph talking about the son of Hannah. Because there are three young men serving in the temple, Hophni, Phinehas, and Samuel. And he contrasts the two by saying this. The sons of Eli were worthless men. 
But the son of Hannah was ministering before the Lord. Then in the next paragraph, he says, the sons of Eli, uh, Eli kept hearing what his sons were doing to Israel and how they lay with women. See, they were looking for something. They desired something. They had a void that could not be filled. Maybe they didn't even realize what it was. God knew because the son of Hannah continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Would you like to know the one difference between the sons of Eli and the son of Hannah? One thing is contrasted in scripture. They were all three raised in the temple. They were all three taught the same things. They were all three prayed over and prophesied over. They all three had the same jobs. You want to know what was the one difference between the two? When these two guys die, their mom is never mentioned. But him, all the credit goes to a godly mama over and over and over and over again. Those two boys were looking for something that they couldn't find. And they were the definition, the biblical definition of a modern discovery that they never made it to emotional maturity or psychological maturity. You know why? Didn't have a godly mom. But this one grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man. He became a picture of Jesus because mom said, God, give me a blessing. God, I give the blessing back to you. And God, I just praise you. In fact, God gave her five more children on top of Samuel. When she prays, she prays to the Lord of hosts. That's interesting because it's a picture of an army. She's praying to a militant God. You know why? Because she felt like everybody was her enemy and the world was against her. And for all intents and purposes, it was. And so she said, God, I feel attacked. But God, I know that you're the God of angel armies and you can bless me if you want to. I'll praise you before the promise. And when the promise came, she returned the favor back to God because God had favored her. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the greater Cadiz, Kentucky or Winchester, Tennessee areas, we'd love to have you join us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our amazing children's and students' opportunities, visit us at onechurchcadiz.com. That's onechurchcadiz.com.